Section 26 of Grey's Anatomy, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bianca. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 5, by Henry Gray. Development of Urinary and Generative Organs, Part 1. The urogenital apparatus. Apparatus urogenitalis, urogenital organs. The urogenital apparatus consists of a. the urinary organs, for the secretion and discharge of the urine, and b. the genital organs, which are concerned with the process of reproduction. a. Development of the urinary and generative organs. The urinary and generative organs are developed from the intermediate cell mass, which is situated between the primitive segments and the lateral plates of mesoderm. The permanent organs of the adult are preceded by a set of structures which are purely embryonic, and which, with the exception of the ducts, disappear almost entirely before the end of fetal life. These embryonic structures are, on either side, the pronephros, the mesonephros, the metanephros, and the wolfian and mullerian ducts. The pronephros disappears very early. The structural elements of the mesonephros mostly degenerate, but in their place is developed the genital gland, in association with which the wolfian duct remains as the duct of the male genital gland, the mullerian as that of the female. Some of the tubules of the metanephros form part of the permanent kidney. The pronephros and wolfian duct. In the outer part of the intermediate cell mass, immediately under the ectoderm, in the region from the fifth cervical to the third thoracic segments, a series of short evaginations from each segment grows dorsalward and extends caudalward, fusing successively from before backward to form the pronephric duct. This continues to grow caudalward until it opens into the ventral part of the cloaca. Beyond the pronephros, it is termed the wolfian duct. The original evaginations form a series of transverse tubules, each of which communicates by means of a funnel-shaped ciliated opening with the salamic cavity, and in the course of each duct a glomerulus also is developed. A secondary glomerulus is formed ventral to each of these, and the complete group constitutes the pronephros. The pronephros undergoes rapid atrophy and disappears. The mesonephros, mullerian duct, and genital gland. On the medial side of the wolfian duct, from the sixth cervical to the third lumbar segments, a series of tubules, the wolfian tubules, is developed. At a later stage in development, they increase in number by outgrowth from the original tubules. These tubules first appear as solid masses of cells, which later become hollowed in the center. One end grows toward and finally opens into the wolfian duct. The other dilates and is invaginated by a tuft of capillary blood vessels to form a glomerulus. The tubules collectively constitute the mesonephros or wolfian body. By the fifth or sixth week, this body forms an elongated, spindle-shaped structure, 
termed the urogenital fold, which projects into the salamic cavity at the side of the dorsal mesentery, reaching from the septum transversum in front to the fifth lumbar segment behind. In this fold, the reproductive glands are developed. The wolfian bodies persist and form the permanent kidneys in fishes and amphibians, but in reptiles, birds and mammals, they atrophy and for the most part disappear coincidentally with the development of the permanent kidneys. The atrophy begins during the sixth or seventh week and rapidly proceeds, so that by the beginning of the fifth month only the ducts and a few of the tubules remain. In the male, the wolfian duct persists and forms the tube of the epididymis, the ductus deferens and the ejaculatory duct, while the seminal vesicle arises during the third month as a lateral diverticulum from its hinder end. A large part of the head end of the mesonephros atrophies and disappears. Of the remainder, the anterior tubules form the efferent ducts of the testis, while the posterior tubules are represented by the ductular aberrantis and by the paradidymis, which is sometimes found in front of the spermatic cord above the head of the epididymis. In the female, the wolfian bodies and ducts atrophy. The remains of the wolfian tubules are represented by the aporophoron, or organ of Rosenmüller, and the paroophoron, two small collections of rudimentary blind tubules which are situated in the mesocelpings. The lower part of the wolfian duct disappears, while the upper part persists as the longitudinal duct of the aporophoron, or duct of Gärtner. Footnote Barry Hart has described the Wolfian ducts as ending at the site of the future hymen in bulbous enlargements, which he has named the Wolfian bulbs, and states that the hymen is formed by these bulbs, aided by a special involution from below of the cells lining the urogenital sinus. He further believes that the lower third of the vagina is due to the coalescence of the upper portion of the urogenital sinus and the lower ends of the Wolfian ducts, and that the epithelial lining of the vagina is derived from the Wolfian bulbs. He also regards the colliculus seminalis of the male urethra as being formed from the lower part of the Wolfian ducts. End footnote. The Mullerian ducts. Shortly after the formation of the Wolfian ducts, a second pair of ducts is developed. These are named the Mullerian ducts. Each arises on the lateral aspect of the corresponding Wolfian duct as a tubular invagination of the cells lining the coelom. The orifice of the invagination remains patent and undergoes enlargement and modification to form the abdominal ostium of the uterine tube. The ducts pass backward lateral to the Wolfian ducts, but toward the posterior end of the embryo they cross to the medial side of these ducts, and thus come to lie side by side between and behind the latter, the four ducts forming what is termed the genital cord. The Mullerian ducts end in an epithelial elevation, the Mullerian eminence, on the ventral part of the cloaca, between the orifices of the Wolfian ducts. At a later date, they open into the cloaca in this situation. In the male, the Mullerian ducts atrophy, 
but traces of their anterior ends are represented by the appendices testes, hydatids of Morgenyi, while their terminal fused portions form the utriculus in the floor of the prostatic portion of the urethra. In the female, the mullarian ducts persist and undergo further development. The portions, which lie in the genital cord, fuse to form the uterus and vagina. The parts in front of this cord remain separate, and each forms the corresponding uterine tube, the abdominal ostium of which is developed from the anterior extremity of the original tubular invagination from the coelom. The fusion of the mullarian ducts begins in the third month, and the septum formed by their fused medial walls disappears from below upward, and thus the cavities of the vagina and uterus are produced. About the fifth month, an annular constriction marks the position of the neck of the uterus, and after the sixth month, the walls of the uterus begin to thicken. For a time, the vagina is represented by a solid rod of epithelial cells. A ring-like outgrowth of this epithelium occurs at the lower end of the uterus and marks the futile vaginal fornices. About the fifth or sixth month, the lumen of the vagina is produced by the breaking down of the central cells of the epithelium. The hymen represents the remains of the mullarian eminence. Genital glands The first appearance of the genital gland is essentially the same in the two sexes, and consists in a thickening of the epithelial layer which lines the peritoneal cavity on the medial side of the urogenital fold. The thick plate of epithelium extends deeply, pushing before it the mesoderm and forming a distinct projection. This is termed the genital ridge, and from it the testes in the male and the ovary in the female are developed. At first, the mesonephros and genital ridge are suspended by a common mesentery, but as the embryo grows, the genital ridge gradually becomes pinched off from the mesonephros, with which it is at first continuous, though it still remains connected to the remnant of this body by a fold of peritoneum, the mesorchium or mesovarium. About the seventh week, the distinction of sex in the genital ridge begins to be perceptible. The ovary The ovary, thus formed from the genital ridge, is at first a mass of cells derived from the coelomic epithelium. Later, the mass is differentiated into a central part, or medulla, covered by a surface layer, the germinal epithelium. Between the cells of the germinal epithelium, a number of larger cells, the primitive ova, are formed, and these are carried into the subjacent stroma by bud-like ingrowth, genital cords, of the germinal epithelium. The surface epithelium ultimately forms the permanent epithelial covering of this organ. It soon loses its connection with the central mass, and the tunica albuginea develops between them. The ova are chiefly derived from the cells of the central mass. These are separated from one another by the growth of connective tissue in an irregular manner. Each ovum assumes a covering of connective tissue, follicle cells, and in this way the rudiments of the ovarian follicles are formed. According to Beard, the primitive ova are early set apart during the segmentation of the ovum and migrate into the germinal ridge. Waldire thought 
that the primitive germ cells are derived from the germinal epithelium covering the genital ridge. Beard, on the other hand, maintains that in the skate they are not derived from this epithelium, but are probably formed during the later stages of cell cleavage, before there is any trace of an embryo, and a similar view was advanced by Nussbaum as to their origin in amphibia. Beard says, At the close of segmentation, many of the future germ cells lie in the segmentation cavity just beneath the site of the future embryo, and there is no doubt they subsequently wander into it. The germ cells, after they enter the resting phase, are sharply marked off from the cells of the embryo by entire absence of mitosis among them. They can be further recognized by their irregular form and amoeboid processes, and by the fact that our cytoplasm has no affinity for ordinary stains, but assumes a brownish tinge when treated by osmic acid. The path along which they travel into the embryo is a very definite one, namely, from the yolk sac upward, between the splanchnopleur and gut, in the harder portion of the embryo. This pathway, named by Beard the germinal path, leads them directly to the position which they ought finally to take up in the germinal ridge or nidus. A considerable number apparently never reach their proper destination, since vagrant germ cells are found in all sorts of places, but more particularly on the mesentery. Some of these may possibly find their way into the germinal ridge, some probably undergo atrophy, while others may persist and become the seat of dermoid tumors. End of section 26 Recorded by Bianca in Utrecht, the Netherlands on February 2nd, 2010